So by show of hands, who's actually going to watch the Super Bowl tonight? Maybe half. And if you watch, who's going to watch it more for the game or commercials? Game first. I'm watching for the game. Who's watching just for the commercials? <laughs> Seems like a lot more hands that time, huh? Well, I don't know. Um, one other thing I wanted to mention. Uh, they mentioned the fight night earlier, uh, Renee did, in the announcements. But uh, one thing you need to be aware of that is that today they actually extended the deadline for cheaper tickets to today. Um, so you can still get tickets for that if you go online and buy them today through our website. Uh, $15 per person, $30 a couple. I'll be there. Hope to see you there. Um, Preaching can be intimidating at times. Case in point, let's let the guy who preaches only once or twice a year preach on the passage that uh, has been the most, maybe the most significant text of Scripture in the division of Christendom into Protestants and Catholics. To speak with authority on an issue that's divided the best of theologians over the centuries is definitely a challenge. But, I have to tell you, I've really enjoyed studying this passage this week, and I'm excited to share with you some of the things I've learned. So let's turn in our Bibles to James chapter 2, or open up your device. James chapter 2, we're going to be reading verses 14 through 26. I'm reading from the ESV. James chapter 2, starting at verse 14. What good is it, my brothers, if someone says he has faith but does not have works? Can that faith save him? If a brother or sister is poorly clothed and lacking in daily food, and one of you says to them, go in peace, be warm and filled, without giving them the things needed for the body, what good is that? So also, faith by itself, if it does not have works, is dead. But someone will say, you have faith and I have works. Show me your faith apart from your works, and I will show you my faith by my works. You believe that God is one, you do well. Even, even the demons believe and shudder. Do you want to be shown, you foolish person, that faith apart from works is useless? Was not Abraham our father justified by works when he offered up his son Isaac on the altar? You see that faith was acting or active along with his works, and faith was completed by his works. And the scripture was fulfilled that says, Abraham believed God, and it was counted to him as righteousness, and he was called a friend of God. You see that a person is justified by works and not by faith alone. And in the same way, was not also Rahab the prostitute justified by works when she received the messengers and sent them out by another way? For as the body apart from the spirit is dead, so also faith apart from works is dead. Let's pray before we dive into this text. 
Father, we thank you for your word. Thank you that it is true, consistent, inerrant, authoritative. As we study this passage today that's been a source of lots of conflict and disagreement, Lord, we pray that your Holy Spirit would guide us and show us your truth, that you would speak to our hearts today. We ask this in the precious name of Jesus. Amen. What you do reveals who you are. I would suggest that that idea is taught all through the scriptures as truth. Here's some examples. Proverbs 4.23, guard your heart for everything you do flows from it. Luke 6.44, for each tree is known by its fruit. John 15.8, you bear much fruit and so prove to be my disciples. Matthew 5.16, let your light shine before others so that they may see your good works and give glory to your Father who's in heaven. What you do reveals who you are. As we continue the study in James and open up to James chapter 2, James turns his attention to the subject of good works. It's a controversial subject. One of the rules for interpreting Scripture that all pastors are taught in seminary is that we should look for the obvious and plain meaning of the words that we're reading. The problem is that if you look for the obvious and plain meaning of this text, that there seems to be a contradiction with things the Apostle Paul has said in other places in Scripture. Now keep in mind that James was almost certainly written prior to any of Paul's writings, so he's not writing to refute Paul's teaching. What do we do? Well, here's another rule of interpretation, and it's a very important one also. That rule says, let Scripture interpret Scripture. God's Word is an integrated whole and does not contradict itself. How do we deal with the fact that James says in verse 24, you see that a man is justified by works and not faith alone? While in Romans 3.28, it sounds almost the exact opposite. It says, for we hold that one is justified by faith apart from works of the law. That's just a teaser. We're going to come back to that later. Our former preaching pastor, Pastor Jay, used to say occasionally from the pulpit, theology matters. The passage we'll study today is prime real estate in support of that statement. For here in James 2, we have a passage that is a significant dividing point both today and at the time of the Reformation between Catholics and Protestants. No lesser theologian than Martin Luther wrestled with this passage and concluded that the book of James was an epistle of straw. The disagreement is basically this. Does this text argue that good works are a proof of justification by faith? Or does this text argue that it's necessary to add good works to faith in order to be justified by God? 
The answer to that question determines more than just where you worship. In a very practical sense, the way you answer that question will determine whether you spend your life trying to prove to God that you're good enough to go to heaven or whether you live a life of passionate service to God as a natural response to being a recipient of grace. Possibly my greatest hope as we look at this passage is that many of you will come to a fresh understanding of the grace of God that frees you up from a near constant enslavement to works-based faith. I hope and pray that you'll walk out of here today assured in the freedom of knowing that you're saved by grace alone through faith alone and have been adopted as a child of God and are now an heir with Christ to the kingdom of God. But more than that, that you'll be freed up from the mentality of trying to do the right things to earn God's approval or make him love you more. Many of you know that I was raised Catholic. And I want to say right up front that I'm not trying to beat up on the Catholics today as I point out some doctrinal differences that we have with them. I have good friends and family that are practicing Catholics. And I believe that many of them are true believers. And I'll see them in heaven someday. So being raised Catholic, I faithfully attended church. Not because I had any desire to go, but because my mother made me go. Truthfully, I would have, have to say that my religious, I didn't, I didn't consider my religion in any serious way as a youth. My memories of church as a kid are memories of passing the time at mass, daydreaming about baseball. Another thing I remember was figuring out with my friends that if we went to a different mass than our parents, we could tell them we were riding our bikes to church and they wouldn't know that we didn't go at all. We just rode around town causing mischief wherever we went. I had a very basic understanding of the Catholic religion that even in its simplicity was still in error. I believed that if I was not guilty of any really big sins and I went to church, that I would most likely go to heaven. Is that what the Catholic Church believes? I hope you realize that the answer to that is no. In fact, a theologically trained Catholic would tell you that you are saved by grace alone, through faith. Sounds good so far, doesn't it? They would then go on to tell you that your saving faith is, has to be completed by good works. So let's dive into this passage and try to understand not just what James is teaching here, but what God wants us to understand from the entirety of Scripture about the relationship between faith and works. For our structure today, I've borrowed an outline from Dr. Warren Wearsby, a former pastor of Moody Bible Church. He outlined the passage this way. You can have dead faith, Demonic faith or dynamic faith. So James opens this section 
with a question. What good is it, my brothers, if someone says he has faith but does not have works? Can that faith save him? He then goes on to give an example about a situation where someone's poorly clothed and lacking in daily food. My family loves to go to the city of Chicago. We've developed a new tradition where for the last few years, every other year, we go there for the Christmas holiday in between Christmas and New Year's. And when we're in downtown Chicago, we always see poorly clothed people lacking in daily food. We can't possibly help every one of them, but we do try to help some. But what a travesty it would be if we decided to say to the ones who couldn't help, oh my, it looks like you've really fallen on tough times. God bless you. I, I hope you get some food today. Here's James, James's conclusion. Faith by itself, if it doesn't have works, is dead. We know that there are counterfeit Christians in our church body. There are in every church. Jesus knew it too. Matthew 7, 21 says, not everyone who says to me, Lord, Lord, will enter the kingdom of heaven, but the one who does the will of my Father who is in heaven. The person with dead faith has only had an intellectual experience. I've known people like this over the years who love to read and argue the faith from an intellectual level. Oftentimes they're big readers. They want to share with you what they've learned in the latest book they've read. And their doctrine is usually correct. Probably know it better than you and me. For instance, they know the truths of the doctrine of salvation. But they've never surrendered their life to Christ. The sad thing is that these people genuinely believe they have faith, but the only faith they have is a dead faith. Titus 1.16 says, they profess to know God, but they deny him by their works. Most of you have probably heard of the Jewish Shema. It's found in Deuteronomy 6.4, and it's what any faithful Jew would say each day to affirm their faith in God. Hear, O Israel, the Lord our God. The Lord is one. James references it that here and asks, you believe that God is one? So what? Even the demons believe that. Demons are not atheists. They're active in our world, recruiting people to become atheists, but they themselves don't join, don't join the club. They believe in God. They even believe in the deity of Christ. Mark 3.11 says, And whenever the unclean spirits saw him, they fell down before him and cried out, You are the Son of God. So whatever this type of faith that James is talking about is, he says, demons have it. It's again an intellectual assent. But it goes beyond that to an emotional reaction. 
The demons shudder. They tremble with fear. Emotion is a good thing. I love to see people who, who let their emotions affect their faith. One of the fruits of the Spirit is joy. Gratitude is another thing that can be expressed with emotion. I hope your faith at times leads you to emotional reactions as the Spirit of God impresses upon you the truth of God's great love for you. How can you not respond with emotion? But we've already said that an intellectual faith is dead. Here James asserts that like the demons, you can have an intellectual faith and even add emotion to it. And if you stop there, it's useless. So enough of what true faith isn't. It's not dead faith or demonic faith. But true saving faith is dynamic faith. It's characterized by constant activity. James illustrates this faith with two Old Testament examples. The first being Abraham, and the second, Rahab. In both of these examples, he says that these two people were justified by their works. So let's hit the pause button for a minute here and make sure we understand what James is saying when he says that. When he says that they were justified by their works. This is very important. Here's the Greek word for justified. It's dikaao. If I, now, I don't know that I said that right, but that's what one semester of Greek gets you, I guess. In the Bible, the Greek word for justify has two possible meanings, and they're both used in the New Testament. Here they are. I think they're going up on the board. Two possible meanings for that word, dikaao. To declare to be righteous or to pronounce righteous. So it's a legal term, like not guilty, a declaration. The second meaning of that same word is to show to be right or righteous. So they're similar, but they have a very significant difference. Track with me on this, and I think you'll see that it's worth it. Let's look at these two verses that I mentioned earlier in the introduction and see if we can solve the apparent contradiction between James's teaching here and Paul's teaching in Romans. So here's those two verses. Romans 3:28, for we hold that one is justified by faith apart from works of the law, and James 2:24, you see that a man is justified by works and not faith alone. Look pretty opposite, don't they? So let's go back to the two rules of hermeneutics, the uh, rules for interpreting Scripture that I mentioned earlier. We said that first you look for the obvious and plain meaning of the text. So we do that with both of these, and we stand perplexed. Now, we look at the second rule of interpretation, which says let Scripture interpret Scripture. We know that this is God's Word and therefore inerrant. 
So our conclusion is that something has to be going on with the two writers using the same words in very different ways. After studying the passage and the context, which is actually, actually a pretty significant undertaking here, the conclusion that we come to, which is the same conclusion that the reformers came to, is that James and Paul are using those two different meanings for the word dikao, or justify. Paul is speaking from a pre-conversion perspective and uses the first definition to say that God has declared you to be righteous, not guilty before him, apart from any works of the law. It's especially obvious that he's using that the word that way in the next chapter of Romans in verse 4 or 5 when he says, and to one who does not work but trust him who justifies the ungodly, his faith is reckoned as righteousness. He clearly says you don't have to show this kind of justification by works. It's a legal declaration, not guilty. James, on the other hand, is speaking from a post conversion perspective and using the second definition of dikao to say that you are shown to be righteous before men by the works that you do as a believer. James is saying your good works are a testimony before men that your faith is genuine. Your good works validate your claim to be a follower of Jesus Christ. So let's look at it again in a table here. I put it into a table. It's going up on the screen. So you compare the two verses, Romans 3.28, James 2.24. Romans 3.28, pre-conversion perspective. James 2.24, he's writing to believers. He says it's a post-conversion perspective. 3.28, justified before God. James 2.24, justified before men. Romans 3.28, definition number one, legal declaration. James 2.24, definition number two, to show to be righteous. So in Romans 3.28, Paul says clearly, works are not necessary. You're justified. But in James 2.24, works are the evidence of your faith, and they are necessary to justify you before men. So let's get back to our text. We now see that the type of faith James, and for that matter Paul, also calls genuine faith, is not a dead faith. It's not the, like the faith the demons have. It's a dynamic faith, a faith that results in action, a faith evidenced by good works. Most of us are familiar with the story of Abraham and his son Isaac. God tells Abraham to offer his son Isaac on the altar as a sacrifice to God. The story of Rahab may be a little less familiar to many of us. Rahab hid the spies who'd gone into Jericho to spy out the promised land that they were about to take as theirs. Our text tells us that both of these Old Testament saints showed by their good works their faith in the one true God. Faith evidenced by works. The famous 19th century preacher Charles Spurgeon illustrated it this way. It's 
going up on the board. A tree has been planted out into the ground. Now the source of life to that tree is at the root. Whether it hath apples on it or not, the apples would not give it life, but the whole of the life of the tree will come from its root. But if that tree stands in the orchard, and when the springtime comes, there's no bud, and when the summer comes, there's no leafing and no fruit bearing, but the next year and the next, it stands there without bud or blossom or leaf or fruit, you would say it is dead. And you are correct. It is dead. It is not that the leaves could have made it live, but the absence of the leaves is a proof that it is dead. Okay, now let's get on to the good part. This is the, this is the part I like. The reason why the theology of this passage matters so much to you and I. What we're reminded of here as we study this passage is that there's absolutely nothing that we can do to gain God's approval or make God love us more. There's no need to do because it's done. If you're a follower of Jesus Christ, that is, you've asked him to forgive your sins and have surrendered your life to his lordship, then God has declared you not guilty and imputed to you the righteousness of his son, Jesus Christ. When God looks at you, he sees the righteousness of Christ. And there's nothing that you can add to that to improve on it. So why good works then? James says that they are absolutely necessary to justify or show your faith to the people around you. Don't do good works to earn God's approval. Don't do good works to impress God or other people. Our attitude should be an attitude that I find expressed in John 7, 38. I love this. Jesus says, Whoever believes in me, as the scripture has said, out of his heart will flow rivers of living water. Let's get this word picture here. Out of your heart flow rivers of living water. Out of your love for God, in passionate gratitude for what he's done for you, let those rivers flow. Let the Holy Spirit fill you up and let the rivers of living water just flow out of you in good works toward any and all people you touch with your life each day. I love this word picture because a river doesn't, doesn't have to even think about flowing. Flowing is what rivers do naturally. We shouldn't necessarily have to think about what good works can I do today. It should be much more natural than that. Just let the love of Christ that he's shown you fill you up and then overflow to others. In this way, we're justifying or showing our faith before others all the time and in very natural ways. One of the greatest joys of true Christian faith is being used by God to do good works. I love Ephesians 2.10. It says, For we are his workmanship, 
created in Christ Jesus for good works, which God prepared beforehand that we should walk in them. Did you know that God has prepared good works for you? What's he got for you today? Go and walk in them, it says. A couple weeks ago, I was coming home from dropping off my daughter Grace at school in the morning. As I turned back onto our street, I noticed our neighbor across the street, a woman in her 70s whose husband was recovering from back surgery. She was shoveling her driveway from some freshly fallen snow. And I thought to myself, I should get a discipleship group from the church to go help her. (laughs) No. I got out of my car, went and grabbed my shovel, and justified my faith in God before my neighbor. I like making to-do lists. I make them all the time. Sometimes I use a notepad. Other times I use sticky notes. You can see I'm real high-tech. I love to-do lists mostly because I love checking the things off as they're finished. Well, I'm wondering if any of you are like me. I can walk out of a service like this all excited about being a river of living water, letting the love of Christ flow out of me in good works. But in a day or two, when I get busy and forget to do my devotions, I can quickly fall back into the trap of thinking that I've disappointed God, and I've got to do better to earn his approval. I've got to read my Bible. I've got to pray. I've got to give to the poor. And I start writing my to-do list in my head of all the things I've got to do for God. Don't go there. Today, I want you to know that there's no to-do list for you as you go out from this place. Instead, I send you out as salt and light and rivers of living water. Live as a child of God and let the love of Christ flow out of you as good works to a world that so desperately needs to see the love of Christ manifest through us, his people. They'll see it through us as we let the rivers of living water flow. Pray with me, please. Father, thank you again for your word. Thank you for the way it speaks to our hearts and our minds. Thank you for this word picture of living water. Lord, I pray that we would be freed up today from that kind of attitude that thinks we have to earn your approval. Thank you, Lord, that we have been imputed the righteousness of Christ. You see Christ in us. Lord, fill us up with the Holy Spirit today and help us to go from this place and at our homes, in our neighborhoods, 
in our workplaces, in our schools. May we be people that justify our faith as we, to, to these people around us as we just let the rivers of living water flow from us. I pray this all in Jesus' precious name. Amen.